Hello and welcome to a new entry into the Morning Star Journal. My name is Tariq and today I'll be going over um, one of the uh, book series that I really have enjoyed over the years that I've um, read it and then also have reread it. Um, and that is a book series by Jim Butcher called The Codex Alera. Um, well, definitely be going over that. And in the background, you may be listening to uh, a little music from the Gladiator soundtrack uh, that was um, sorry, composed by Hans Zimmer. Uh, and that will become uh, more evident as far as why I chose Gladiator when I talk about this book series. But first, I'm going to go over a little bit of uh, housekeeping or um, a few things that have gone on this week that I want to kind of talk about first. So first thing is that earlier this week, I um, got the opportunity to be on to be a guest on another podcast hosted by Wynn Kelly Charles, her podcast called Ask Wynn, and um, she graciously invited me to be on there, and I did. Um, you know, we talked for a few, you know, for a little bit, and um, Wynn Ke- uh, Wynn Charles should say is a author. Um, she's had a few books. She's also got a podcast where she's hosted. Um, like almost like thousands of different people. Um, she's a, a speaker, um, really an amazing person, and um, I really uh, thank her for the opportunity to talk on her show. I'll uh, add a link to the podcast that I did with her uh, to the description in this one. I've also uh, put a link of the podcast on uh, my Facebook and uh, Twitter uh, account, so you can find it there as well, just in case if it's not in the description. But um, if you have a chance, please listen to it, and also, um, you know, maybe listen to uh, some of our other podcasts, and, you know, maybe it might be something worth uh, checking out and subscribing to, which I definitely recommend. Uh, another thing I just want to talk about real quick, uh, David, um, is, uh, he posted something about, you know, possibly doing a sci-fi podcast, so I just want to put it out there that I will definitely be in on it if he, uh, wants, uh, or if he has, um, you know, a spot or has time to, um, you know, talk about that, I will definitely like to be part of that sci-fi um, kind of podcast because he wants to talk about uh, kind of older sci-fi shows, a little bit like what we did in our previous podcast with The Predator. Uh, so I would definitely enjoy it. And um, I definitely took it as a challenge to find obscure and out-of-the-way podcasts. And I do, oh, sorry, sci-fi shows. And I do want to ask him, though, um, is it going to be strictly sci-fi fantasy or uh, can certain... Uh, say kind of comic book movies be uh, sort of incorporated in that and also how does he feel about anime I'm not going to try to go I don't want to try to go you know, big anime but there's a few anime sci-fi ones that I think would be kind of interesting to talk about um, he'll definitely have to let me know and um, 
Also, his catchphrase, I will say that he does in the morning, uh, and sorry, in the beginning of his podcast, I've heard it now for, uh, I think he mentions it this week, but I've heard him say it for the past like couple weeks now. I didn't want to say anything because it actually does sound very natural and very him, and I was very impressed by it. I've also... I'll be honest, I actually thought about stealing it a couple of times, but I was like, no, he's like, that's that's his, and I've got to figure out my own opening, so I'm still trying to figure out a decent opening, so that's still something that's been up in the air. But anyway, um, the main focus of this podcast is I wanted to talk about uh, two books, well, actually, sorry, let me get back. So, the book series is called Codex Hilaria, and it's actually a six-book series. And the first two books, the ones I'm going to go off today, uh, the first one is called Furies of Calderon, uh, Calderon, and the second one is called Academ's Fury. So, we're just going to go over the first two books, and um, I kind of wanted to go over just the uh, I didn't want to go over the whole series because I didn't think I'd have enough real time. And I want to kind of take, you know, um, dive into the books a little bit more. So that's why I was going to just take about two books at a time before I go into it. So a little bit of background on this. Like I said, it's um, written by Jim Butcher, who um, is uh, definitely famous for his uh, Dresden Files uh, book series, which thing has gone on is like at round book 14 i know there's probably some dresden fall fans that are gonna really get mad at me for uh not knowing the exact number but i think it's around oh it may actually be 15 uh the latest one was briefcases slash skin game uh briefcases was the last book but it was like a collection of kind of short stories that happened in between um, certain books or in the background of certain books and then Skin Game was the last like full novel um, with Dresden but um, this was actually a series he created back um, trying to remember when it was um, I think about, it was published around I think around early 2000 around 2003 2000, probably I think around 2004 and I said just a six book series and um, believe it or not, the story was conceived when somebody said, or somebody I challenged them to say, okay, I want to give you two, uh, what they thought were lame ideas and see if you can make a story out of it. And the two lame ideas they thought of was the Lost Roman Legion and Pokemon. So, um, most of you know what Pokemon is, you know, it's, the game slash TV show, which has been around for ages at this point now. Like, I think back in the 90s or probably even the late 80s, maybe. It's a very old property. Um, but the Lost Roman Legion is also kind of an old idea that does pop up in a lot of um, books and TV shows and movies. So, uh, for those who might know, and I started looking into it just to kind of, you know, refresh it, because I've always been known about that kind of 
uh, trope before, but I didn't really, you know, look into it a little bit more thoroughly. And so the Lost Roman Legion, or um, I think it's called the Legio Nona Hispania, or the Legion, it's like the Ninth Legion of Spain. Uh, supposedly existed from about the 1st century B.C. until roughly around 120 A.D. So, uh, at one point, the le- this legion was supposed to be stationed in Britain. And that was around 43 A.D. So, this, this um, legion of soldiers um, and, of course, you know, followers that uh, that come along with the legion they were um they were part of the roman republic and later delved into the uh, later expanded into the roman empire now there's a lot of stories on what actually happened uh, most people believe that they're pretty much just wiped out um there's a lot of uh, turmoil going happening just around europe in general and i think around 108 AD, somewhere around North Britain, they thought that that's when the Legion was wiped out. Also, since they really have no other, there's no other kind of um, signs of them going past uh, 197 AD, there's a lot of speculation that, that, that roughly between 120, like I said, uh, around 120 AD to uh, 197, that's when around the Legion either maybe was destroyed, maybe they dispersed. I mean, they traveled everywhere from, you know, between Rome up to Britain. I've uh, seen things that say they traveled down to Germania. Um, So they definitely traveled long distances and you know, in between time, it's not like, you know, just hopping on a train or a plane, getting someplace. So, um, so a lot of people may have been lost just on the journey itself. And these were major battles that were fought, you know, probably to the last man, really. So, um, but that's, it's been a, but the, the story of Lost Legion has been a trope that's used in sci-fi in many places a lot of them will either there i think there have been movies that that kind of uh try to chronicle what the legion was doing and where they went um there's even a few um uh you know uh sci-fi books that will say oh they may have uh because there's no sign of them maybe they were abducted you know us aliens or um they crossed into a dimension uh, as a side note, something I want to get get into one time, because when I was looking this up, I started to remember an old uh, Star Wars series I read. So many of you know that the older Star Wars books uh, now are called Legends, because before they had their own stories that they were going off of, and ever since the Disney acquisition, they've had to kind of streamline the stories so that they don't get you know, too convoluted with what they're going to try to make and also give them kind of freedom to make new stuff as far as the current Star Wars. Um, One of the old stories uh, was by an author named Timothy Zahn. 
or Zan. I think Zan is probably better. Uh, and he had a really epic trilogy that I usually call the Dark Force, Dark Force Rising trilogy, because I knew it from the second book, because the second book has a very iconic picture on it. Uh, but the first book was called Heir to, uh, Heir to the Empire. I think Heir to the Empire. I might be wrong about that one, but it's uh, by Timothy Zahn. It's usually known as the um, Thrawn series because Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn was the main um, uh, antagonist of the whole of the trilogy, and Thrawn was well to kind of put it uh, short. The, Thrawn was this alien. Uh, it was this alien who was a grand admiral for the empire. And during the course of the books, you find out that the empire was very xenophobic of other races other than humans. So they really wouldn't conspire with other races too much. And not many other races were even part of the empire. And this one actually made it to be the grand admiral. So he was pretty much had the emperor's ear. Um, and that was a big deal, and he was a major force. But the thing I want to talk about, though, and they've brought Thrawn into the more modern Star Wars uh, series. He appeared in Rebels, and they have a few new books, uh, thankfully written by Timothy Zahn, so he got to bring his character back into the new Star Wars. But what I'm going to get at is that in part of the book series, in that Thrawn series, there was actually a lost um, fleet of dreadnought ships called the Katana fleet, I believe. Um, and they were just a, and supposedly like during the clone war, you know, remember this is before we had attack of the clones and, uh, the clone wars cartoons in the book canon. And this was like one of the first new trilogy books that came out when they started, when, uh, they started writing uh, Star Wars novels. This is one of the, like the first big ones that to really come out. Um, so in this book, they said that during at some point during the Clone Wars, there was this fleet of ships, and for whatever reason, um, they for whatever reason the uh, crews abandoned the ships. They all um, uh, was it programmed the ships to follow. Uh, they slaved it to one ship, so one ship would command, would pretty much command all of them, and the ships disappeared into um, either deep space or hyperspace or something like that. And it was just this mysterious katana fleet that um, people, had, you know, heard about, but no one ever found. And during the course of the trilogy, they did find the um, ships, and uh, Thrawn unfortunately found them, and. Uh, used a old cloning facility to man the ship so he could actually use them against the new um, alliance. Uh, so even in Star Wars, the idea of a lost legion was even seen there. On an extra side note, I have to read the book again because there's a point in the book that I swear, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on this, there's a point in the book when, when they find out the crew of the... They find out that he has the ships. And in the actual crew, when they find the crew, they realize that the crew is a bunch of clones. 
I could have sworn that at that moment when he when Luke not the clones, he couldn't detect them very well. Like I, I and, and I always imagined that it was one of those things that because of because they're clones, they are life forms per se, but because they're clones, they kind of they kind of have this weird not to coin the phrase, disturbance in the force. It's almost like this kind of black hole, kind of like the Predator in a sense, when it's camouflage, where it's camouflage, but you can see a distortion. When it comes to the force and clones, I always, I guess the book always made me imagine that clones have this distortion when trying to detect life. Like, you can detect other life forms pretty naturally. Humans, aliens, um, creatures, even plants. But for whatever reason, a clone gives that weird disturbance that you they can't feel it correctly. And I always figured that that's what the Clone Wars was about, was that the Jedis had to fight armies of these things that they couldn't quite feel out properly. And because of that and because they couldn't feel out you can have things like a clone could sneak up on a jedi because he couldn't really detect it it was just like this weird distortion maybe something in back it was a distortion but it wasn't really a life form so they wouldn't pay attention to it or maybe you know they're going around there in this um let's say a base and they a jedi maybe think okay i'm gonna face off against you know, four, maybe five troopers, and it ends up being a whole battalion, and the Jedi get and the Jedi get overwhelmed. Just saying that when when the book came out, it gave me a lot of different things of what the Clone Wars could have been, and you know what they could have done with it. And we definitely got something different in the actual story. But hey, you know who can coin. But that's just something that I um, that I was just thinking of. Also, on that same note, if you ever have a chance and you meet an older Star Wars fan, and what I mean by older Star Wars fan is somebody who um, more or less grew up on the original trilogies that have read the books, probably even maybe a couple of comments. If you know somebody like that with Star Wars, ask them who's Mara Jade. And I'm sure you're going to get a shock and probably a whole spiel on who this character is. I mean, to kind of put it in context, it, I think it would be the equivalent of if you went to a Walking Dead fan and asked him, who's Michonne? Or if you went to a Game of Thrones fan and asked him, so who's this Braun character anyway? I... <laughs> Ask an old school Star Wars fan who Mary Jane is, and I'm sure you're going to get an earful of that. But um, going, but let, let's try to let's let's reel it back in. Let's, let's go all the way back into the um, of the Codex Alaria books. So Codex Alaria is like I said, it combines these two um, you know ideas. Of uh, a lost Roman legion, so there was a well, there was a Roman legion that existed, um, that uh, somehow got transported to this um, land called, I believe, it's called Karna, and they lived in this land for 
you know, the, uh, hundreds of years, basically. And the humans that, and basically it was this uh, full legion and followers, so that's how they were to, you know, appropriate and, you know, multiply and eventually, um, you know, establish in civilization. But they were somehow, at some point in the, in the far past, they, um, they were transported in this land. And when they came to this land, there were already, there were several beings, um, there are several races that we meet called the Merits, the Icemen, uh, Canem, a couple others, there's a couple others that they, that they wiped out too, that, you know, they talk about in the course of the books that they were around, but you don't see them anymore. But um, when they came to this land, one of the things that they had to try to um tame in a sense were these things called furies and this is where the pokemon aspect comes into play now i'm going to go over into the now i'm going to talk about the furies a little bit now something i want to keep in mind because i explained this to a friend of mine and he really didn't uh like how the furies magic i should say worked like how they work how the the elemental spirits like he didn't quite um agree with like oh if you had fire you shouldn't have this kind of abilities or if you had water you shouldn't be able to do this this is a wholly different like jim butcher took time to create this kind of whole land with his own set of rules so Bear that in mind with this, you know, and I know it's going to sound a lot similar to other things. Um, and I'll get into the kind of two properties that I more or less, um, you know, kind of thought this combined uh, rather than, you know, the Roman Legion and Pokemon. But there's another two properties that I think this also combines that kind of fits well. But you have to kind of, you know, put that aside and just kind of take the rules of the book, which I think that kind of plays with a lot of things. And, you know, whenever you watch movies and things like that, you kind of have to say, okay, I can't think of how normal physics works, uh, normal people would work. I've got to see, okay, does this movie uh, create certain rules and does it stand by them? And I think for the most part, the book stands by most of the rules. It bends some and doesn't quite break too many, but it does, you know, bend them such a degree that's not too bad. So, kind of getting back. So, when they came to this land, there were things called these furies, which were elemental spirits. And there were the basic elements of earth, water, air, fire. But then there's also elements like wood and metal. And so, these elemental spirits... Usually they're, you know, small and, you know, assuming, but there are wilder ones that either manifest their powers greatly or combine with other uh, furies, usually called like feral furies. And basically the humans that came learn to harness and control these furies. Uh, and then over... Uh, generations that became more or less the normal so that all at least the humans per se who they call the Alarans all the Alarans were able to use Furies now um, some were able to use multiple ones so you had people that um, like a couple of the um, big protagonists were able to use 
fire and earth or um, water and wood or, you know, there were several that can use metal and, you know, maybe metal, um, air and fire and sometimes at the same time. But the ruling body, Gaius, I should say, was able to use all of them at will. So you might be asking, like, what could you do with these theories? So let me see. I'm going to get into kind of the types and what you can do. So um, water uh, was you uh, if you were able to uh, if you were a good water fury, um, you can actually use water to communicate over long distances. So like and you can communicate through different bodies of water in a sense. Um, they were also able to read emotions, shapeshift, um, water uh, crafters, I should say. That's what they usually called. The abilities usually refer to as fairy craft, and then it's usually like whatever craft. So in this case, water crafting, um, they're able to keep youthful appearances. Some water crafters were able to even change their appearance in some, in some instances as far as the more higher level ones. Um, earth crafters were able to um, increase their strength. They also were able to, um, they're also better at tracking and hunting. They can manipulate the earth. Uh, supposedly they can even use the earth to kind of, in a sense, travel faster, almost uh, like surf it, almost like it, like you're on a raft and you're just going through water. Um also, the uh, also want to mention the Earth Furies could look just like anything. Like they didn't just look like um, just because it was Earth doesn't mean it was like a bear, or because it's uh, fire, it may be like a bird or water, some kind of fish. The Furies can look like anything, any kind of and any kind of animal, any kind of being. In some cases. Um, Another thing that comes up a little bit later in the later book series is that fact is that, you know, um, a lot of the people that live in the major cities, they really don't manifest their furies in actual beings. They're just able to control things like fire and water and things like that. Um, it's only usually something in like the outskirts and in the uh, town and country areas where they actually have actual beings like their earth fury is um a giant wolf or their uh fire or their water furies are um look like uh uh lions and things like that and you know for the most part uh some people uh at least in the within the book you know they theorize that oh because they're in country they don't know any better uh, you know, they just imagine these things and that's why they, uh, they manifest in animals. It's, it's just, you know, bumpkin, you know, imagination while the more sophisticated, uh, know better. And that's why they don't, but there's a handful of like the, uh, people, the higher houses. And that's another thing in the story is that there are a lot of different houses, not just guys who rules, but there's also a few other ones like a Quentin and Vidya or Vidya is part of the Quentin, but. Um, Placida and um, Atticus and um, 
I try to remember all these houses off the top of my head, but um, there's a lot of different houses that, you know, and the higher ones there who are supposedly, you know, sophisticated, they have, you know, their furies manifest in animals too, so it doesn't quite hold up. And there have been reports some people were able to catch furies. So there are furies out there that have these characteristics but they're not tied to anybody so that's usually something that they kind of discuss every so often so to get back into it um you got wood uh like i said wood furies that you're able to manipulate plants they're also they're also good at tracking but they can actually camouflage also archers are able to um like make these like massive incredibly strong bows and uh, put more force in their arrows. Um, air furies actually can give uh, people who are um, experienced air furies the ability to fly at, you know, incredible speeds. Um, let's see. They're also uh, very strong crafters made to bend. They can bend air around them. Like I said, this is one of those like, okay, you gotta, Kind of bear with me on the, you know, what it can do. They can bend air around them to kind of camouflage. It's kind of like the whole bend and light thing, kind of like the Predator. So it's like, eh, okay, only Air Furies can do it. Gotcha. Um, let's see, you had fire, which, uh, you know, control fire, but then they can also, uh, fire can actually manipulate feelings of either joy, anger, or fear, and, um, it's also just a very destructive power. Um, then you had the metal, which usually used for combat. I don't think there was too many metal furies throughout the book. I'd have to, I uh, may have to reread it again. And uh, that's another thing is that this is a book series that I've read and reread multiple times. Um, whenever I'm feeling bored, or I just need something quick and fun to read. I, I jump into the series. I'll say, okay, I'll just read the first book or the first two books. And I end up reading all six at some point. Like, and, uh, and I always enjoy reading through it and like finding a few new things here and there. But, um, try to get back real quick. Metal Furies really just used for like, um, impressive like sword work and, um, and work with your shield. Uh, some of the later ones are able to actually use metal almost to form it around their hands or feet, kind of like armor, and use it that way. It takes a lot of practice, and it was one of those things that like only a few people could even try. So that's one of the things. So that's kind of the, fear, uh, the Furies in a nutshell. So the first book, again, like I said, is called Furies of Calderon. And I'm just going to read over the back cover so you can get a feel of it. So, in this extraordinary fantasy epic of the number one New York Times bestseller author of The Dresden Files, Jim Butcher, leads readers into a world where fate of the realm rests on the soldier... Soldier... Uh, soldier... Uh, can you even say soldier... Uh, sol Why can I not say soldiers right, right, right now? But anyway, of a boy with the power to call his own. For a thousand years, the people of Alera have united against the aggressive, threatening races that inhabited the world, using their unique bonds with the Furies, elementals of earth, air, fire, water, wood, and metal. But in the remote Calderon 
Valley. The boy Tavi struggles with his lack of fury crafted. At 15, he has no wind fury to help him fly, no fire fury to light his lamps. Yet as the Alaran's most savage enemy, the Merit Horde, returns to the valley, Tavi's courage and resourcefulness will be will be a power greater than any fury, one that can turn the tides of war. So you can kind of see where this is going a little bit, even from the description and from when you, and if you ever get a chance to read it from the first book, you kind of see where it's going. But uh, trust me, just bear with it. A lot of it, you know, there will be things that pay off. If you've read fantasy and watched any kind of a, you know, kind of story similar to this before, you'll know where certain things are going. But I, I always appreciate that yes there you know it's hard to find something brand new because really every story has been told at some point but if you can at least find um a good spin on it or they take it in a nice direction i think it's worth the trip and this definitely is so to get back your main character is a boy named tavi and that's one of the things about this is that they've been around for a thousand years so Every Alaran is able to use Furies, except for this boy. He can't use Furies. Um, he's just unable to. Every time he tries, he just he can't man he's never manifested Fury, he's never been able to control him. But one of the things though is that he li- and he lives with his uncle's aunt, and his uncle has taught him how to um combat it. So he underst so it's not like he um you know, is unable to defend himself against other kids who have Furies, he's able to, you know, for the most part, use his head. And he's able to, you know, still, like, kind of combat um, the wild Furies because he lives uh, out in the valley. So there's a lot of wild Furies that, you know, that are attacked that he has to kind of be aware of. And this follows um, several characters. There's a character called Amara, who is a cursor, which is basically like they're portrayed as messengers to the Emperor Gaius, but also they're kind of his spies too. And she kind of um, finds out that there's certain houses that are planning to um, overthrow him by um, exacerbating this conflict in the Calderon Valley. So really the merit are being used as this kind of um, force to uh, cause Gaius to um, expend uh, basically resources to try to weaken him. And she finds out about this, but unfortunately she is um she's attacked before she could really get back and she stumbles across Tavi as well as his uncle which I'm trying to remember and it's been so long uh see Tavi Brutus just a moment if I can't find it within Bernard, <laughs> I got it. Bernard's uncle and um, Asana is his aunt, and uh, they're not married; they're brother and sister. But um, they uh, they find uh, Mara and 
the attack that's happening in their homeland, and they have to, you know, see what they can do to either help Amara and then also, you know, find out what's going on. Because the Merit at this point are are considered this horde, but at the same time, they're just indigenous people that live around that area that um, don't really go out of their way for certain conflicts, but, you know, they can be pushed. And there's definitely some manipulation going on there. And Tavi, as any 15-year-old protagonist in a story like this, finds himself in the middle of it and has to figure out a way to help everybody. It's a really cool story. I really enjoy it. Um, like I said, the first one's just a the first book is just a extremely easy read. I'm not gonna get into too much of a detail other than um we definitely meet um some other characters. Like I said, um there's uh, some of our main um protagonists that we meet. Um a Quentin is the uh is the uh, ruling house um, that is kind of making plays for the throne. Nvidia is the wife of Quentin, who uh, is almost like a Cersei character. Uh, get more into that later because that'll play into you know um, how I thought as far as the um, uh, the type of stories that was going into. You've also got when you actually when we actually meet the merit, um, we find out that there's more to it than just like this horde. There's a lot more. They have their own type of uh, magic and um, abilities, but there's more lies into um, communicating with their animals. Um, they have uh, certain animals that they uh, like the gargant, which is like this giant beast. Or like wolves or griffins that they communicate with horses. Um, and they have this kind of um, symbiotic relationship with these animals. More like they're more like extensions of themselves. They're as intelligent as they are and things like that. And um, like I said, I don't want to get too much into it uh there's a merit that uh tavi meets named kitia who's uh the daughter of the main uh chieftain and you can imagine where that kind of goes but it's a very complicated relationship there but like i said this is a great story that start that starts off and it's followed, and I'll kind of quickly over this one, by, like I said, that one is Furies of Calderon. It's the first book. And then the second book is Akadim's Fury. So, again, um, so Akadim's Fury. And I'll read over the back of this one. I don't think it gives too much away, but, okay. So, back of this one. For centuries, the people of Valera have harnessed the Furies, elemental, elementals of Earth, uh, air, fire, water, wood, and metal to protect their land from aggressors. But no fury can save them from the dangers they face within. A mysterious attack from across the sea has weakened the First Lord. Should he fall, the bloody civil war is inevitable. The responsibility of fending off assassination attempts and treachery within the First Lord's circle spies falls on Tavi, the one man with no fury to call. So, 
the second book, Academic Theory, actually takes place um, a couple of years after the first one, in which now Tavi is at at the uh, main capital, and he is learning. Uh, basically, he's learning at the university there. But secretly, he's actually training to be a cursor himself. Even though he doesn't have any theories, he's shown a very um, um, impressive mind and way to you know handle the fact that he doesn't have theories. Though he does have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for other people that think of him as crippled without him without furies but he's able to do so much without it that um, it's, it's impressed everybody even the first lord um, one of the things that, that we meet one of the people that we meet in this one is a new race called the Canem and the Canem are basically werewolves in a sense I mean they don't turn they, they're not men who have turned into wolves they are just the wolf creature you know what the werewolf turns into they're these you know just humongous wolf creatures and they have a form of magic that's actually called blood magic where they'll use the blood of they'll use their own blood or in a lot of cases, they'll use the blood of their um, victims to perform incredible magics. Uh, but not only that, because you got the Canem, and then you've also got the um, kind of civil unrest that was started in the first book that isn't quite resolved. Um, if you ever, like I said, I don't want to go too much into it, but when you read the first one, it doesn't quite resolve everything in the first book. Um, it's still going on. It actually goes on throughout the entire series in the background. Um, so you got the civil unrest, but then also there's a mysterious new uh, kind of party coming in called the Vord. And when we first meet these creatures, they're like the Borg, only more, or like kind of like an insect version of the Borg, in which they just devour and just want to kill anything. And at first, it's just a small little, you know, uh, incident in uh, in the town of Caldron Valley, uh, but it quickly becomes something much more. Um, uh, uh, extreme later on, especially in the later parts of the books, um, uh, later parts in the series, I should say. Um, so I've, like I said, I've really enjoyed this this book series. Um, I encourage anyone to maybe uh, take a moment to go read it. Sometimes the first book is actually found on sale, and even the Furies of Calderon is a good book, just good book to start off with. A lot of these books. Pretty much the main um, the main conflict is resolved within the book. Um, there's a lot of things that still carry over. There's a few mysteries that they kind of hint at towards the end of each book. Like there's a piece, uh, and of course, you know, there's Tavi's past, and there is a reason why he can't use Furies, and that is brought up, and you find out more about that later as well. But... Um, it's just one of those things that keeps building, and I think the book, in my personal opinion, does a good job with it. And like I said, it's a book series that I go back to um, every so often. Heck, I'm thinking about, um, I, I've got, uh, somebody let me borrow the new uh, George R. R. Martin's 
uh, Fire and Blood, which I definitely will start reading, but I kind of want to go back and start reading this again because I just have fun reading it. Now, the two um, properties that I think this closely resembles to, and it's only because I was watching one of them at the time, and the other one was just a really good series that I enjoy, was Game of Thrones and Avatar The Last Airbender. Because the whole thing with them, um, the whole Fury crafting thing, just reminded me of Avatar in a sense, where you know you've got it, Avatar's got airbenders, waterbenders, firebenders. Well, here you have fire crafters and water crafters, and kind of same instances. But in this situation, they can actually do multiples, which is something that I kind of wish Airbender jumped on of because. If you watch the last Airbender cartoon, you know, the Fire Nation took over a lot of different lands. And especially when they when you get into um, Korra, the later series that came out, um, The Legend of Korra, you Fire Nation and Earth Nation kind of combined to make this Republic City. So it would have been interesting if like certain people were born where they can do both. They can do firebending and earthbending. And this book series kind of does that where like, you know, everyone can use certain fury crafts and there are people who specialize in one another so they can take that to like, you know, there's, um, for instance, there's a character called Odenia who's a um, high level watercrafter, a little bit crazy, but the feat she can do on a watercrafter is way beyond what your average watercrafter do. Same thing with Asana, um, Tavi's uh, aunt. She seems like a you know more basic watercrafter but she is way more powerful than um than anyone expects which plays out later in the books where she does some feats that they are just shocked that you know they figure oh she can't she can't be that powerful and she proves she is but um so it does remind me more of the whole um uh, Avatar, Last Airbender, and then the whole Game of Thrones aspect comes into play a lot with these houses because they they're very subtle because you've got houses because you've got different houses like a Quentin Kalar, um, the guy's house, which is the First Lord's house, that's main ones, but then you've also got the Canem who are um, kind of muscling in the merit, which is this other kind of force out there. There's a wall um, actually to the North, which they talk about in the books a little bit, but it's not brought up till later, but there is a wall. And on the other side of the wall, there's a group called the Icemen that live up in that region. Um, and then of course you've got the horde and all of these aspects remind me of Game of Thrones. All the houses like Stark, Targaryen, Lannister, um, you know, Martell, uh, um, Dorne, you know, the areas of Dorne, Winterfell, the Wall, um, the, you got the Dothraki, you know, the, the supposed horde, you know, the Dothraki on the other side of the ocean. Um, and then, of course, you know, across the wall to the north, you got the White Walkers. So it's a lot of like, it's just a lot of the, you know, that aspects of Game of Thrones and the kind of like sneaky stuff that where like these houses don't outright um, attack the other houses, but they kind of work through pawns and little schemes here and there. That was like, at the time I was reading, like when this, when I found the book series 
and I was able to, and I was reading it, I'd also been watching Game of Thrones. I was like, this is kind of, you know, a simpler, uh, a yeah, a simpler style story of it, you know, without the, um, and at least in this series, my main protagonists aren't killed within like uh, 10 pages of me liking them. Uh, let's just say most of the protagonists and a lot, and I've seen a lot of people that when they do compare to this series, the Game of Thrones, there's the counter arguments of people who've read the books that say, well, they don't, you know, this not as serious because they don't kill, you know, the people Game of Thrones. Look, not everyone has to die every two to three episodes to make a good story. You know, you can have people that live throughout, you know, most of the series and it's still a good, and it's still a good read. And I think this is it, but kind of spoilers that by the time you get to the fifth and sixth book and realize that there's really no seventh and he didn't make a new series out of this. Yeah. There's a lot of people that become expendable at that point. But, you know, up until that point, I, I'm actually enjoyed that, you know, there's a lot of people that get close. There are a few deaths here and there that come into play. There's some that are questionable where you think maybe they did get killed or maybe they didn't get killed. Um, that I think it really plays up with. But all in all, like I said, this is a, a really cool series that I all, I've always enjoyed. I enjoy reading it. Um, I enjoy rereading it. Heck, like I said, when I finished Fire and Blood and whenever uh, David finished his book and depending on when that comes out, I may be in the middle of reading this series again because I think I've read it maybe three times. And every time I have to start from book one and I go all the way to book six every time. But that's pretty much all I have for right now. I'm definitely going to try to go over the other uh, four books at some point. I'm going to do the same format where I'm going to go over two books. So um, between now and then, if you want to, you know, send me a comment or, you know, uh, tweet at me and say, oh, you know, I've read it and this was the, you know, worst book series I've ever read or you read it and found out you, you enjoyed it. You can always reach me um, either through Anchor, through a voice message through there. Um, you can also tweet at me at Morningstar Journal. Um, journal spelled J-R-N-L, so at Mortisar Journal. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, and I do have a Facebook um, page that I do post occasionally, and then also you can email me at the Morningstar Journal, all spelled out, so the Morningstar Journal at gmail.com. Um, I will, I'm also toying with, um, you know, how much more I'm going to do with the Indiana Jones because I did Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, last week and I definitely want to get into the other series, but I rewatched Temple of Doom and I don't know, Temple of Doom just, it's good, but there's a lot of things that I just, it just doesn't give me the same feels as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but there's another series, there's another movie that I definitely want to get into. And also this week was kind of, uh, tough because I, I had everything planned out. I knew what I wanted to talk about. I knew I want to talk about this book. And then all of a sudden something came up and I had to remark on this and I could not unfocus on, it was a series and it was what they called the series. And I'll briefly go over it right now. So we've got a couple of you know minutes real quick. So 
the the series is called Guilty Movie Pleasures. You can probably figure out what it is, you know, who does it. I'm not going to say who, and I'm not going to say the host, because I'm sure they're good people, and they've done pretty good jobs in the past, but they had a show called uh, Guilty Movie Pleasures. They're showing a movie, and of course it was a movie because um, of a another movie that was, that it came out recently, so they have to do, you know, just like any other show, they want to do something similar to what's out there, so you can, you know, made the correlation but what upset me about it is that my interpretation of guilty movie pleasure is that it's a movie that you enjoy watching that other people probably don't watch or probably haven't watched that often but you watch it and maybe it's also something that you've watched constantly so for instance um just say for me a guilty movie pleasure for me would probably be kong skull island um, I, that's just one I'm going to top of my head because I really enjoyed the movie. If it's on, I'll watch it. If I'm not watching anything else, I'll probably put it on. If I found out that if I was scrolling to Netflix and I saw it, I would probably click on it and just start watching it. And I've really enjoyed it. So in a, in a sense of me, that's a guilty movie pleasure. Whereas something like Kick-Ass, for me personally, it wouldn't be. I saw Kick-Ass once, thought it was all right, but I never went, I never went back to it. I don't watch it. I wouldn't care if it came back on. If I'm scrolling through something and it just kind of appeared, I'd probably just scroll past it for something else. I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. It's just one that I'm not going to see. So that doesn't count as a guilty movie pleasure because I'm not going to watch it again or not going to watch it again uh, for myself. So when they have this movie and the host hadn't watched this movie since he was a kid... The guest hadn't even heard of the movie because he's more familiar with the current iterations and he had to, and he didn't know about it until he watched it at that point. And then they're talking about it and they don't even understand the plot of the movie and they're making jokes on, oh, it makes no sense, you know, because I hadn't seen it in a long time. That's not a guilty movie pleasure. That is just... You know, that that's maybe like a nostalgia movie or an old movie you're reviewing. Don't call it a guilty movie pleasure if you're not going to, if it's not something that at least one person on the show has actually watched. Anyway, off my soapbox. Um, and definitely we'll probably be going more into that next week. But um, thank you everyone who's listening. I hope that you've had a, you know, a great week and hope you continue to have a great 2019. I know a lot of things as far as in the news has been going so crazy and I'm not going to get into any of it, but I will say that at least I hope that this gives you a little bit of an outlet and a breather from it. But again, thank you for joining me. I hope you decide to read um, this book series. Definitely let me know if you have or what you even think of it. And I'll see you all next week. Peace.